0: It's just right for us.
2: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire
3: Podcast Network.
4: Welcome everybody to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports Network is riding Shotgun with us tonight. And we are looking at week 14, a week that saw the entire division win, except for the guys at the top. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> we, we all feel so bad for them, though. Everyone we,
3: feels terrible for the Dolphins. <laughs> Everyone should feel terrible for Dolphins fans. They've been nothing but gracious in their winning this season.
4: (laughs) It couldn't happen to a nicer group of people.
3: I thought I hated Patriots fans for the longest time. I forgot how much I hated Dolphins fans.
4: Right? Like, it's finally like now that that thing is kicked up, you remember, you're like, oh, yeah, these guys were scumbags. But it's funny you mentioned the Patriots fans because we have one on the air with us right now, Mr. Christian Simonelli. And we're talking about the Patriots won against the Steelers. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for doing us a favor and somehow shooting yourselves in the foot when it comes to draft capital in the same time.
2: (laughs) Hey, my pleasure. You know, I always try to take care of my friends.
4: What was your reaction to the game? Were you legitimately rooting for them to win or were you rooting for the loss?
2: Uh, Every touchdown, I wanted to just throw up. (laughs)
4: Was it you know, weird? Was I mean, it was oh, it was it weird seeing break, Bailey Zappy? for
2: Hunter Henry to look good in the thirteenth game. <clears throat> see, no, because Bailey won twice last year. Like he played well, so it wasn't weird um, to see him do well. Like he did well, and quite frankly, Pittsburgh didn't show up. I still don't think they came out of the. They have they've come out of the locker room. They were a no show that game.
4: That first half was ugly. But I mean,
2: how could
3: you not show up for Misty Biscuits?
4: That
2: that quarterback. Quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure.
4: I'm sure their offense had a whole lot of enthusiasm <laughs> with Mitch Trubisky. I remember when Bills fans used to talk about the idea of like, well, we can, we're gonna get something for him when he signs a big contract in free agency because we've rehabbed his image and he gets a game or two here when we're resting our starters, and and that never happened. And then he went on to just go back to, and then everyone's like, well, I don't understand why they wouldn't let Mitch Trubisky play if Josh Allen's banged up, and you go, that's why. <laughs> He's just not very good. How did this guy make a Pro Bowl? Does anybody know what? Ha- what I wonder what the football gods cooked up to get him to a Pro Bowl? Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy, yeah. Ask Chiefs, ask, <laughs> ask Chiefs fans what they think about Matt Nagy today. So this is this is kind of a, I guess the story of the week. Because the game was the game. You guys won. It obviously helped the Bills with their playoff seating. It killed you guys in terms of like getting the number one pick. Although you're still right there. Like you're right there for number two, number three. You're in the mix. There's still a quarterback in your future. And I feel like that combined with all the free agent, like the, all the capital that you're going to have, the cap space, the free agent ability you're going to have to go chase is kind of how you end up with this, uh, current, you know, well, what what outlet does Tom Curran write for?
2: Uh, he writes for NBC NBC Boston um, here. So, but he goes on a bunch of different, uh, you know, talk shows and um, you know, radio shows and everything. he goes on Ei a lot? So, I mean, it's NBC, NBC Sports Boston, which is ultimately who he writes for.
4: Okay, so in the you know the glow of this victory for Patriots fans. He comes out with this piece talking about how the decision's already been made. And this is the swan song of Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots. And when I read it, I didn't, like, it didn't really sink in. It took a while for me to kind of, it had to marinate for a minute of, Oh my God, I've seen maybe the last of Bill Belichick as a Patriots head coach. What has the tenor amongst the rest of your fan base been like between WEI, the radio stations, the chat rooms, the message boards? I don't know what you guys are still using up there in Massachusetts. What has the discourse between Patriots fans been like in regards to this report that the Germany game killed it and Bill's done here?
2: Well, it's exactly what it was when Brady you know, was on his way out the door. You know they don't know anything. Who were they talking to? Um, you know, so and so never liked Brady, anyways. Uh, oh, so and so's always hated Bill. Actually, Tom Carman, for the most part, his reporting's been pretty, been pretty dead on. He's been pretty good. Um, the funny thing is, though, he didn't write it. When, immediately when I saw the blurb on Twitter, I went to his profile to click on the story because I figured, why wouldn't you have something this big? He would write it to get clicks, right? I mean, like that's. They were saying that today on Patriots Unfiltered. Like, why wasn't all written anywhere? Well, today he kind of walked it back in another interview that said, yeah, well, I guess anything could happen. So you went from on Monday saying that pretty much, the you know, it's a signed, seal delivered, that his fate was sealed after the Germany game, which Ben Volan wrote about at the time how important it was, almost like the Super Bowl for the Crafts, to now, well, anything could happen. And if he wins out, who knows? So at the end of the day, about 48 hours, Patriots should have gone all in an uproar. But now it's just like, all right. So he's basically backed off on it. And that's sort of where we are today. But it's Again, interesting to me anything.
4: It's interesting to me that your fan base is very likely to, believe. Well, trust me, we have our experience, as you saw this week and reveled in, we have our own experience with <laughs> writers who write things about coaches and about what's going on behind the scenes that people don't want to believe. We have our experience with that. <laughs> as we're, as we're going to talk about a little bit later in tonight's show, but realistically, it needs to be done for Bill Belichick, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, I've said that you know almost every week that I've been on here. Um, yeah. I this isn't about just this year; it's about the last four or five seasons and what you've done or not done in the draft, and what you've done and not done in free agency, and just how you've really just managed to make this roster way below average clearly fourth in the division when you look at the rosters across the division and they need a lot and I want somebody else getting that lot
4: that's it you're not you're not making this move like what not if but when Like, right? Like, when it happens, we'll do a whole podcast dedicated to the, the, just the ouster of Bill Belichick.
2: Oh, I'm sure you will. (laughs) Oh, you'll be
4: there? We're going to have you. We're going to invite, uh, we're, we're going to invite everybody. We're going to bring in, uh, what's his face there? The F. Now he's F1 guy. He's not football guy anymore. Uh, his name is escaping me. Scrubs fan. Oh my God, Chris isn't here in the room with me right now. (laughs) You got no help. You got no help. I'll phone a friend here (laughs) later. But we're going to have a whole litany of our Patriots friends come in for that show because that's going to be worth celebrating. Like, that's a thing, right? (laughs) But you're making the move not for now. You look at the Patriots, you have the road to the second pick in the draft. Maybe the first, if things just all of a sudden, for some reason, Carolina pulls in New York Jets and wins two games. You could be looking at a world where you guys hold the number one or number two pick in the draft in a class that has a couple different quarterbacks that are viewed pretty well. You also have gobs of cap space. And what you have to look at is what happened the last time we turned Bill Belichick, the GM and head coach, loose with cap space and draft picks. He drafted Mac Jones, who maybe he's salvageable at an NFL level. He's shown instances where he can be a serviceable NFL quarterback, but he's never going to be an upper echelon starter. He just doesn't have the athleticism for it. His arm talent isn't there. Then you look at what he did to you guys when you went on that free. I remember having you on the podcast to talk about the free agent spending spree when I said it was wildly uncharacteristic to have all of this money spent all of a sudden on twin tight end acquisitions and Matthew Judon. And you're bringing in all of these players. You know, I think who was the safety? uh, There was a safety you guys paid a lot of money to, too. It was like, look, we need to have all of these guys, but oh, we have a ton yeah. we have a ton of cap space, and we're going to go out and get it, and this is going to be our quick fix to f- getting us back to competition. That was when they gave him a lot of money to Chung, wasn't it? No, no, there was a player. I feel like he came from the Chargers, but I don't know why.
2: No, I mean the...
4: Who was the no, most the recent safety one. acquisition? The
2: biggest, the biggest two, in my eyes.
4: Adrian Wilson, um, maybe?
2: Well, Adrian Phillips, Adrian Phillips was the one that they signed yes. during the season, but he wasn't he did, they didn't sign him uh to a long-term contract in, in the uh uh, you know, that season. I mean, they went out that that big that year the big acquisition in the secondary was Jalen Mills from Philly. That's who you okay. might be thinking of. So maybe that's a who I'm thinking. Of. Corner hybrid.
4: And so it was yeah. this idea that, hey, we pumped all this money in, we drafted a bunch of players, we drafted, uh what's-his-face, the guy who was supposed to be like Patrick Chung, but not the hybrid safety. Who did you draft Kyle that Duggar. year? Kyle Duggar. Kyle Duggar. These great players. Kyle who,
2: Duggar in, in 2020, yeah.
4: Phenomenal athletes who are going to transform the defense. He's going to be a star for you guys. All of these things, and then you watched all of these draft picks fail. Not fail, but a lot of them struggled and are still even on their, on their best days, they're slightly above-average football players. You watch some of those mm-hmm. free agency signings, like the Johnnie Smith thing was just the most damning. Like, who is running your Disaster. pro scouting department? Who are you listening to? Mm-hmm. How did you build your pro scouting department? Because clearly it's flawed. <clears throat> just all of this has fallen apart. His inability to identify coaching... Or maybe not identify, but maybe just get coaches to come work for him. That's dried up. All he has is his Rolodex of all the guys who used to work for him. That's all he's left with at this point. There's nothing here that can go well if you allow him to poison the well. And there's a coworker of mine who was trying to put it in a hockey sense. There's a team, the Calgary Flames. They let a GM who they knew was a lame duck and was on the last year of their contract ink a bunch of long-term contracts to players Some of their best players walked and said, I don't want to be part of this organization anymore. So they left, and then in response, he used all that available cap space to sign a bunch of mediocre players to long-term deals. And then he left and didn't get his contract extended at the end of the year. That's fine, but now the team is stuck dealing with the ramifications of what this guy did. The Patriots cannot afford to find themselves in that position with the opportunity that's here in front of them in the 2024 offseason. You can't. You know that. Deep down in your heart, as much as you've loved Bill Belichick, you know you've been saying it. But even every Patriots fan who actually understands the game has to understand that the time is over, right?
2: Absolutely. I don't know how you could possibly watch these these four or five seasons and not think that. Like, this isn't, again... You know, I got into an argument the other day with somebody about it. Well, 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 well number one, who are you going to get? And number two, it's going to take you three – yeah, it's going to take you a long time. That's right. That's what everybody else does. Where are everybody else now. Rady's gone. Soon Belichick will be gone. This is the NFL to the rest of the world. What problem is that you've had these blinders on for 20 years and it hasn't been reality. This isn't real. Like this – it happened. It's going to go in the record books as real. But as far as NFL life goes, it's fantasy. It was. It, that's exactly what this was. So, you think that a guy at 72 years old is going to get up for it for another run, for another, you know, another draft, another free agency signing? Um, in a perfect world, they mutually part ways that Monday, you know, after the season, and, and, and that's it. I hope it doesn't drag out. I hope I hope Robert doesn't try to get draft compensation for him because I don't think he'll get much for him. What are you going to do? Draw it out and get a second-round pick for him? Anybody going to give you a first for him? And is Bill going to want to go to a team that just gave up their first for him? Probably not. Probably not. So, yeah, it's time, definitely. And I'll be sick. I will. I'll be sick to my stomach. Like, wow, there, there goes – that era, it's gone. Just like when Brady left, but it's got to be done. I want to compete again. I want to be relevant again. I want to not be taken off Monday Night Football.
3: <laughs> I, for one, as a Bills fan, hope that he sticks around for another few
2: years. <laughs> <laughs> I would love uh, yeah, no, Bill yeah. Belichick
3: to to be the one that chooses the next quarterback of the New England Patriots and has the second re- second pick in the overall draft. And you know, I, I hope they let him start this rebuild. Hang on, let him break the record. Let's go. Go ahead and break the record. Just real quick before we let you go. What do you think,
4: which record do you think he breaks first? The loss record or the win record?
2: Oh, good one. Mm-hmm. The loss record, I think. I feel like it's he's knocking on that
4: door and nothing yeah. would make me happier. Christian, I love that yeah. you join us every week as much as it hurts this
3: season anyway. We're going to let you go and get back to your draft prep. <laughs>
4: We're gonna let you go
3: <laughs> looking, looking forward to your article about who they should take at number two with the draft.
4: Oh, Christian, I love you.
3: <laughs> Caleb Williams or Drake oh, May. I I,
4: I, I, love you, man. <laughs> Thank you for sticking it out with us all season long. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media?
2: Hey, look, there's no place I'd rather be on a Wednesday night at eight o'clock. Uh, Chris with the TIA and on X, and I'll give you a follow. I'll give you a follow back, and. uh.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: And so that brings us to the New Jersey Jets. One against the Texans. Not just one, but now can say that they have the AFC Player of the Week on their roster. Scott.
3: Exactly like they drew it up at the beginning of the season.
4: Exactly. This is exactly (laughs) what everyone thought was going to happen for the the Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson, AFC Player of the Week. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet here. Scott, what was your reaction to the outcome of this game?
5: Well, before I answer that, Drew, I would just like to say that I think it's great that despite the fact that you and Chris are Bill's fans and I'm a Jets fan and obviously Alf appears on the show for the roundup and Christian, that despite us all being from different uh, fandoms, we could all come together, all work together, much like the hijackers on 9-11 to accomplish (laughs) a final goal. So I just wanted to say that to start the show. But, yeah, it's been a little bit Damn crazy, it. Drew. It's been a little bit crazy with Zach Wilson. I, I was choking on my own show. If you would have told me when he got benched for Tim Boyle that not only was Zach Wilson going to come back and play again for the Jets, but that he was going to look like the best possible version of himself, the version that the Jets thought they were getting when they drafted him at number two overall, I don't think many people would have believed you. So, yeah, that was something else. I I joked after the game, you had two guys that were the number two overall pick in the draft. If you didn't know anything about football and you didn't know who Stroud and Wilson are, and I just told you each of these guys was picked number two overall, and you watched that game, you'd have assumed that Wilson was the guy that everybody thought was the future of football, and Stroud was the guy who everybody thought was a huge bust. So it was just a crazy turn of events. I know there were a lot of injuries for the Texans and all of that, but... Man, that Jet defense stepped up huge. CJ Stroud looked incredibly confused the whole game, and Zach Wilson played like a superstar. So I'm not saying I expect that to continue, but it was a surprising development, if nothing else.
4: Now, I do want to point to, first of all, I'll give you guys your flowers where you deserve them. 135 total yards in a pro football game is fucking crazy. That's mm-hmm. not a thing that's supposed to happen. Also, More than 300 passing yards for Zach Wilson. That's not a thing that I had on my bingo card this season.
3: I think the real question is, is there a quarterback controversy in New Jersey?
4: (laughs) Is there a quarterback (laughs) controversy?
3: (laughs) Or does that not start until they beat the Dolphins this weekend?
4: Yeah, if you guys beat the Dolphins, do we have a legitimate controversy on our hands?
5: There's definitely a huge quarterback controversy right now in our neck of the woods, People are wondering if Tommy DeVito, Tommy Cutlets, is going to be the real deal for the Giants. Is he going to be the starter? There's your controversy as far as the Jets. I mean, Look, obviously I know you guys are joking around, but what it comes back down to as far as I'm concerned is I never believed Aaron Rodgers would play. I think if they lose to the Dolphins, then that pretty much eliminates any of the talk. If you've been listening to what he's been saying and what Sal has been saying, noncommittal to say the least I think even if the Jets beat the Dolphins, it would be a tough sell because you'd have to have Aaron Rodgers go out there, play, and then come back on four days rest against a really tough Cleveland Browns team. I just don't think that it makes any sense. Obviously, for next year, everybody knows Rodgers is going to be the starter. But obviously, the big question now is there was a report from Deseret News, which is a big outlet in Utah. They cover BYU. The writer who did the story is pretty plugged in over there, so I have no reason to doubt him. It also fits nicely with what Diana Rossini and Zach Rosenblatt had reported about Zach Wilson being a little hesitant to come back in and play because if the report in Deseret is true, then that would mean that Zach Wilson and the Jets sort of came to a mutual understanding when he was benched that at the end of the year they would look together to find a new home for him does that now change if Wilson continues to play well would one or both parties want that to change that's something we'll see if Wilson continues to play well but look let's not get ahead of ourselves he had one really good game uh, one he was actually I mean you can make the case he was the best quarterback in the league on Sunday or at least right up at the top is he going to be anywhere near that good the rest of the season probably not but can he be a good quarterback the rest of the season That remains to be seen, and if it happens, then the controversy isn't would he start next year, but it is would the Jets and Wilson consider staying together for another year.
3: Yeah, I think you would almost think that his play maybe makes it easier for the Jets to move on from him at the end of the season, right? Because then there's trade there's trade talk. There's the well, opportunity yeah, you have an to get realistic value for him for a team that you know that may be looking for another option at quarterback, but has you know draft capital to spend. Arizona, you know any any of those teams, Indianapolis teams that you know could use a. I guess what he's a veteran presence at this point, right? Like he's learned from Aaron Rodgers. He's played well in stints, and that's kind it's, of the perfect backup quarterback situation.
4: So maybe well, well, this helps grease the skids for Zach Wilson on his way out of town. But here's a here's a narrative to come out of this game that I don't think has gotten nearly enough press. So we're gonna do it here on the Rock Rockpile Report. <sighs> let me let me take a sip of whiskey, compose myself first. Okay. I want to run this by everyone. When you take a look, and Ryan, I have it up here for your eyes, this is the game log for C.J. Stroud over the course of this season. When you look at the yardage that he's been putting up, it's it's hard to find a game where you would point to it. I mean, what, he had 140 at Carolina in a game that they lost that was tight. Yep. Otherwise, He's been pretty much like rookie of the year material.
3: So he's the runaway rookie of the year.
4: It's hard yeah. to, th- it's hard to find a game where he didn't throw for at least 280. It's hard to find one. In this game, he throws 91 yards. Now, I know that the Jets defense is good. Also, last weekend, bye week, I'm there with uh, my fellow sauce. We always joke around. We're Western New York sauce barons. Me, Iman Azizi, we're (laughs) watching, we're just having some casual cocktails, watching football with, like, no emotion, which is always fun, in my basement at the bar. And we're sitting there, and we watch C.J. Stroud get
2: hammered.
4: And when you watch what unfolds next, it's a series of events where he stands up and he almost can't get his feet back underneath him. And his linemen are trying to pick him up, and he's struggling, and they bring a guy out, and they I think they pulled him out for a play. Yeah. And then they brought him right back out onto the field. He runs out the game, doesn't win. They, they end up losing on the last-second field goal, or a missed field goal. Uh, Fairbairn's replacement missed like a 59-yarder, and he only missed it by, it bounced off the crossbar and bounced out. He was, I in no doubt in my mind, Iman and I were sitting there talking to each other going, that guy is clearly concussed. Why is he still on the football field? So when you watch the sharp departure from who this player was to who he was on Sunday, and then you think back to last year and all of the trouble that the Miami Dolphins got in and all of the hell, the the fact that they got raked over the coals the way that they did, When their quarterback was probably concussed on a play, showed signs of it, and they didn't do anything about it. And they let him play the next week, and then he went out there and not only sustained an actual, like, a real serious concussion, but then also played like shit. Yeah. That's, like, I see that, and I see this game, and I say to myself, how do you as a league... Expect us to take any of this shit seriously. Expect the Players Association to take any of it seriously. If you're going to keep allowing this to happen, can you agree with me that given his historical performances over the course of the season, this was a gross aberration, right?
5: Yeah, for sure. Look, I'm going to refrain from saying that he had a concussion because I... Obviously, have no way of knowing that. You sure. You know it just from looking at a TV screen. Sure. I will say, though, that regardless, the Jet defense was confusing him all day. And I think, look, there are a couple of things we have to talk about. Nico Collins went out uh, sometime that in the first help. half. He that doesn't help. He was already help. missing Tank Dell. He was already missing Dalton Schultz. So none of those things helped. And the Jet defense was getting constant pressure on him. And Sauce, DJ Reed, and Michael Carter, who I think are the best trio in the league were all over the wide receivers that were playing. I think you put all of that together, and it was a recipe for just a very bad matchup for Stroud. Whether or not he was suffering ill effects from the week before, I couldn't tell you that for sure. But look, I think if you look back even the week before, now granted Desmond Ritter is not all that good, the last two weeks and Randy Lang, who was a longtime D.E. reporter for the Bergen record, now works for the Jets, NewYorkJets.com. He came on the show and we went inside the numbers the last two weeks the jets are are giving up 2.8 y- eight yards per play that's insane and All right. the even more insane thing is that they lost one of those games <laughs> so <laughs> it just kind of goes to show you how bad the offense had been but but the point of that's I'm an amazing is
4: cell phone right there it's scott
5: possible that there's something wrong with stroud but at the same time I think the Jet defense right now is just on a really high level. So no, sure. To say.
4: No, no, and I'm not trying to. And I guess it's. I don't want to take anything away from the Jets defense because again, I know that you guys are talented. I've seen it firsthand. I just wonder why the the noise isn't as loud as it was last year when this happened to Tua. You'd almost think that that would act as a cautionary tale and that this would be one of those things where everyone raises the red flag and goes, Wait a minute, you guys should have been looking at that. But and
5: it starts the whole thing.
4: I or don't think hear the any of thing it.
5: went went viral. You had the clip of him looking visual. like he was shaking out the cobwebs it was and all a, of that. It was a night and game, then and
3: then the visual a, of him on the field right. with his arms, you know, his hands okay. splayed. I mean, it, right, it, it, but even
5: it, even the one before that, I think people had been passing the clip around with him shaking out the cobwebs and going back in there. And then obviously Chris Nowinski, the top concussion expert in the country, jumped in on the conversation. So. I think that's a lot of it. It's just, you know, it is something goes viral or it doesn't. And again, I didn't see what happened with Stroud as far as any potential concussion uh, symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I can't really comment on it, but I would imagine that that's a lot of why you would have seen that with Tua last year.
4: The last thing I want to talk about Brees Hall single-handedly it. I want to call it the best mistake I made in fantasy football. So it's one of those things where I was drafted, I was doing a draft on my phone, and I just, like, I fat fingered, and when I had the pick, I drafted the wrong player and I ended up taking Brees Hall.
2: <clears throat>
4: I won my game last week, in large part because of Brees Hall. <laughs> he has been, even though his rushing, even when, he, on the days when his rushing numbers aren't there, his ability as a receiver is just incredible to watch. What is the upshot you think for him, and what that? Because obviously this is a team whose skill, skill position room needs an overhaul, right? You can't just have Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall be the two guys who are functional on every, you know, on more Sundays than not, or at Mm -hmm. least who are contributors. Brees Hall, upshot in going into next season with a supposedly healthy Aaron Rodgers, are we talking about like? Potential, you know, I think a lot of it hinges on the offensive line, to be honest. So maybe this is throwing darts, but just what do you think the upshot for him in terms of his ability to hit some of these like upper echelon running back ranks? You know, coming he lost, you can't really look at his first season's yardage because of his knee injury. You go, oh well, he didn't hit a thousand yards. Okay, well now you look at it here, and he's still working his way back from an injury. Not exactly 100%, but he's playing. And at the same time, he's still better than most teams starting running back. When he's fully healthy, where do you slot him in in terms of value at the running back position?
5: Well, first of all, I should say your mistake accidentally drafting Grease Hall kind of reminds me of when I was first playing fantasy baseball. This would have been in the 90s, and I'm trying to remember what year it was. But we had an auction draft and this was before you had, you know, the internet drafts and it was fantasy baseball was a huge thing. This was, you would do a draft in a warehouse with a bunch of dudes smoking cigars and then you had like some service that would do all the stats for you and maintain the league. It's not like now where you just click buttons and you're on ESPN or whatever it is. And I remember I, I tried to bid on Dwight Gooden and the auctioner didn't hear me and I got annoyed. I wanted Dwight Gooden. Now at this point he wasn't anywhere close to the Dwight Gooden he'd been with the Mets. I ended up having to settle for my backup choice a six foot ten left hander by the name of Randy Johnson, who just so happened first of many Cy Young's. So sometimes there are happy accidents in fantasy football or baseball, Drew. But I will say, as far as Brees Hall, look. The thing that's appealing about and always has been to me is that not only is he a, a, a really dynamic running back with tremendous vision, but he can do so much in the passing game. And you saw it this past week when he had eight catches for 84 yards, and he really opened things up. And the, the thing that you love about that is that means that he's a guy that can make an impact even if the offensive line is having trouble blocking for him because you put him out as an extra wide receiver or you use him in the screen game. Now what the problem had been is that for a while he had been dropping passes and making mistakes. Uh, There was a a pitch to him that he dropped. There were a bunch of screens that he couldn't hold on to. So he was struggling. But in this game he was awesome, and this was everything that you would have wanted to see out of him as a receiver. And the thing that's fun with him is kind of like Le'Veon Bell, he can run receiver routes too and run them fairly efficiently. So that gives him so much more value. Obviously look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey – and, and that's a big part of his value as well. So I think if the Jets fix the O-line, it'll do a lot to help him running the ball in the backfield. But I think even if they don't, you've now seen that as long as he can be consistent with his hands, he can make some big plays in the passing game, even when there's a day that the run game can't get going.
4: Well, hopefully you guys can get everything going this weekend against the Miami Dolphins, because it's really going to give us Bills fans like a leg up. So good luck to you and Gang Green. And in the run up to that, where can everybody find your jet centric content?
5: Excellent question, Shelton. By the way, I should say that uh, I believe it. I, I looked into my crystal ball and I saw the year is twenty forty two, and Chiefs fans are still whining about Kadarius Tony not getting a warning from the referee or something. Look, memo to Chiefs fans. When your receiver is like almost a full yard over the line of scrimmage, the answer to that is not to say, "Well, he broke the rules a couple other times and the refs didn't catch it." So, <laughs> hey, I've been funny.
4: It's it's literally saying, "Hey, I've been robbing this bank every single year for five years. You're going to arrest me now?"
5: Yeah, Or, or the other one that I use because I think this is fairly common is. You get pulled over by a cop for doing 80 and a 55, and you go, what do you mean? I've done 80 and a 55 every day this week. No one pulled me over. It's
4: funny. like Where we're recording, there's a road called French Road that I used to live off of, and I would do – it's a 35, and I would do about 50, and every morning there'd be a cop parked in the parking lot of this one establishment, and I would drive past that cop doing 15 miles over the speed limit. He would never pull me over, and every day I was – it became a thing of like, When? Just when? When are you going to do your job? (laughs) And he never did. But if he had, I don't think I would have taken that defense of being like, will you let me get away with it every other day? I would have been like, oh, well, this is the tax. This is the tax I pay for being a cheater, just like Kansas City fans. Scott, where can they follow you on Twitter?
5: Exactly, and I just think it's hilarious that Kansas City fans are trying to use that excuse. And even Andy Reid, at least later on, admitted that Kadarius Tony did not actually – check with the officials he looked to them and then looked back without getting confirmation so hopefully these Kansas City Chiefs fans will just stop crying already people can find play like a jet it's reliable it's consistent it's if you think about it in a lot of ways the way Roman Reigns has been as world champion it just keeps on chugging along chugging along Roman Reigns been world champ For over three years, play like a jet, going strong for seven years, seven days a week.
3: Much as people might want it to end.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Much like Roman Reigns. I hope nobody wants play like a jet to end, but with Roman Reigns, yeah, certainly. uh, And I think it probably will at WrestleMania. uh, Hopefully not play like a jet, but Roman Reigns is.
4: Listen, you wrestling sycophants, you get the hell off my podcast.
3: (laughs) You're (laughs) outnumbered now. Mario's here. Oh, God. (laughs)
5: But, But anyway, yeah, you can catch play like a jet anywhere where you download podcasts. You can catch me on Twitter at Play like a Jet one You can go to our store at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash jet. And guys, I've said this before. I'm not going to say that I'm a Bills fan or anything like that, but if you're giving me a choice of the Bills or the Dolphins to win the AFC East, I'm always going to pick the Bills because F the Dolphins.
4: And so that brings us to the Buffalo Bills centric portion of the program tonight, Ryan. And uh you know there was a lot going on. Usually we use this spot to talk about playoff odds and other but but I'll tell you what. We're riding such a high after that Kansas City win. I I don't feel like I want to I don't really want to get into that. I'll let, I'll let other people do it. I think there's a guy at Cover 1 who writes like a 5,000 word article about it every fucking week and he's smarter than I am. So instead what I want to look at is this. This past week was a mess for the Buffalo Bills. You you obviously they're coming off the bye. They're you know you lose that one to the Eagles, and then comes the three part you know the three part dissertation by our friend Tyler Dunn, who essentially like it became the hottest button topic. I mean the, the the subject of his kind of dissertation on. Sean McDermott made Saturday Night Live. That's how you know you're part of the zeitgeist. Like you are part of, you, you are now pop culture, Sean McDermott. Welcome. And it's a very conflicting thing. It's a hot button issue. You have people, you know, it, it divided the fan base. And I think more people, if you think this is fair, probably fell on the side of disagreeing with whether it was Tyler Dunn's original premise, whether it was the timing of the article and the information he's choosing to share, whether it was the the the, maybe the spirit, you know, the spirit that it was written in, or what the you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish? And I just find that piece of this fascinating, how our fan base fell on various sides of this issue. Let me ask you a question. Is is there a world, do you see, I know you're fairly pragmatic when you're not trying to be an asshole, (laughs) is there a world where Tyler Dunn writes these articles and it's completely contrived, it's agenda-driven, and it is a, a journalist who does all of this digging with an axe to grind about the subject involved, and yet all of what's talked about is, in fact, true. The, or at least the stories that are told are, in fact, accurate. Can, like, can you see a world where that exists, where both things can be true?
3: Yeah. I mean, if I didn't know Ty, I'd say yes. Um, I, I think the important thing to keep in mind is no one has disputed, no one with any knowledge has disputed any of the stories as not being true. No. I think that's the important thing to focus in on. Right? The, the, the 2019 story during training camp, no one came out and said it wasn't true. In fact, Sean McDermott came out and admitted <clears throat> that it was the case. So all of these other stories, no one has come out and said that none of this happened, that that's not who he is. That's not what happens in there. Um, I think people fall into two different courts on this. And the easiest way to split it is the people who didn't read the article yes. and the people who did. And I think unfortunately the people who didn't read the article are taking their marching orders from other people who didn't read the article and reacted to the, what Tide does well. And that's the clickbait piece of it, right? He mm-hmm. posts the stuff that's super interesting and super, um, you know, polarizing and then says, click here, read for more, right? Because mm-hmm. he's in the business of getting clicks, getting people to subscribe to go long, which is, a, I've, we've talked about it on this pod a couple of times, you and I, it's just incredible, it's worth subscribing to. He does a lot of good work. I think he's one of the better journalists left in sports media, long form journalists at least. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, people who didn't read the article who then decided to read the article had already been jaded to the noise around the article. And they mm-hmm. went in saying that this is a hit piece. This is character assassination. This is a negative take. And they read it and they came out the other side saying, yep, that's exactly what I took of it. Whereas some people who read it, myself included, yourself included, who went through it and said, Oh, it's really interesting. Let's see what Ty has to say and read mm-hmm. the entire article. And in the articles, he gives Sean McDermott credit where credit's due. He cleaned up the cesspool that was the culture left behind by Rex Ryan and the the demeanor of the team. He cleaned that up. He got the he got them winning focused. He tells a story about DeMarco, you know, leading Shady McCoy downfield in training camp for a touchdown. He says this is what winning looks like. This is what it you know, this is what you gotta do. He quotes guys who like McDermott. He even goes as far as saying that McDermott's style is not a style that can't work. No. Right? He talks about, he draws the parallels to a Bill Belichick.
4: You and I were both there. 2017, we're both standing on the sidelines at Bill's training camp at St. John Fisher. I'm talking to Sal Capaccio. You're over talking to Cam Boone. And all of a sudden, like, sloppy day of practice. It's the last day of practice. McDermott whistles the entire thing dead and calls all 90 guys in the middle of the field so he can cuss them out. Yeah. And I've never. I looked at Sal and I was like, have you ever seen anything like this? And he's already got his notepad out saying, so is going, no, this is crazy. Yeah. And he came in here as a specific character with a specific character, with an agenda. And he drove that agenda home and it's worked. It's taken our team from one thing to a, one level to another. No one's ever disputed that. Mm-hmm. Now. It's all like that's the thing I think a lot of people took away from this is it's like well oh, you're you're trashing this person who's done done so many great things for me. No, what you're doing is you're pointing out that this person can also be flawed while also being a good football coach. Yeah, maybe not a great, maybe not the best, maybe not a Bill Belichickian or a, an Andy Reid or you know someone in that mold. But a good NFL head coach who wins a lot of football games and has a team that has an identity, has a culture, has a has its own you know has a very successful ecosystem that it it, it lives in behind the scenes. And and
3: the big thing the big thing to focus on
4: but but he can also be failable in how he treats individuals, how he treats players, how he micromanages the staff. trust me, some of the best people that you know at a given task are also really terrible at other things that are just adjacent to what their actual job is right i i know them you know them Th- those of you work out there right now listening to this podcast work with at least a dozen of these people and that doesn't make them bad people it doesn't make them bad at their jobs it doesn't make the in the global sense but it's fair to point out that these are all things that could be a problem.
3: Right. Yeah. And, and Ty goes as far in the article as a, there's a piece that sticks out to me that really for me as a Bills fan really, I guess, kind of made the whole thing feel okay is that everyone he talked to said that everything Sean McDermott does is for the purpose of winning. He, he wants to succeed. He wants the city of Buffalo to be a winner. He wants to bring a Super Bowl home. And this is what he thinks the, it takes. And This is what he thinks it takes. And the issue that I take away from it is that there's a lot of people who think that this is the way that I get to my end. The mm-hmm. end justifies the means, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that when the end doesn't come the way you expect it to come, sometimes you have to adjust. And the biggest problem has been, thus far, McDermott has been unwilling to adjust. And this is not anything that no one has talked about before. I've We've been talking about this, this for podcast. three seasons.
4: I think I've killed giant percentages of my liver function right here in this chair having that conversation. So then you, you get into the spirit of the timing of the article release. And they go, oh, this is opportunistic and blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, first of all, that's journalism, baby. Absolutely. If you miss definitely. your window, that article's worth nothing. Seth Wickersham, who works for ESPN and has written some of the best exposés out there, the exposé on the Haslams, about the deal with Jerry Jones and how Dean Spanos got screwed out of the L.A. stadium. All of those pieces were had to be done timely because if someone else leaks even a portion of what you're going to talk about, it devalues your craft. Which is ultimately how you make your livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the perfect time. If you were ever going to do this research and release an article like that, now's the time. What I find most interesting is the portion of the fan base that goes, well, the team doesn't need this right now. I, the entire time, was saying, no, no, I think this is exactly what the team needs. Because if if sports has taught me anything, it's the concept that winning fixes everything.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
4: Winning fixes everything. Winning head coaches can have scandals. They can have all kinds of stuff. Andy Reid's son gets into a DWI car accident and no one cares. Right. He's got another son who I I believe, God rest his soul, overdosed, died. It was problematic. It was a whole thing. Now that's I think not.
3: Andy Reed, didn't Andy Reid have one of his players commit suicide in the parking lot before practice?
4: These are all things where you go, "How is this going on inside your building?" And you guys didn't do more for this person. Now that's—I'm not trying to besmirch the man, but what I'm pointing out is, no one even talks about that. It's—it's it's not even a thing that's on anyone's radar anymore. Why? Because they've won, and winning, whether it's good or bad, is a cure for most sports ills, be they. On the field, off the field, in the locker room, whether it be a matter of characterization, how are you viewed? Well, if you're a winner, it's it's like Talladega Nights. I'm a winner. Winners get to do what they want. Yeah. That's it. It really is the Ricky Bobby effect. And if you are a winner, all of these things fall by the wayside. And so at a time when our fan base is decrying this article and the impact it could potentially have, first of all, if that's what's going to be the thing that derails my head coach, I want to know it right now. I want to know that this hit piece, that everybody thinks is this, if it's like that thing, sticks and stones, can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. If words, right? Some of, some of the words are factual and you have to cop to that, right? Yeah. It's real. You admit that that's correct and you become a laughing stock nationally. You did that. That's on you. That's not on the writer. That's not on the person who pointed out the thing you did. It's on you. And, but, but even then, no one will remember it if you just go win a football game. Win two, win three, win a Super Bowl. No one will ever know. Like, The jokes would stop. They'd all we'd all we we would forget that we got to have that five day window where the jokes literally wrote themselves during the game this weekend. I made a joke about the Bay of Pigs invasion (laughs) because I was just like, "Ah." I mean, our
3: group chat has been pretty colorful over the last week or so because it's all up for grabs now.
4: It's all up for grabs. And that's his fault, not Tyler Dunn's, not the players who talked to Tyler Dunn about it. That's your fault. You put this into the world, and now you don't get to pick and choose where it comes out, when it comes out, how we all find out about it. All you can control is what you do with it now, what you do with that energy, and what you do to solve the problem. You can't run. You can't hide from it. And so you watch this football team at a time when everybody thought, like, oh, this could be the thing. This could be the thing they don't need and derails them. And then you hear in the post game locker room in what was a hard fought game,
3: absolutely that
4: we were
3: that I mean that was we were Kadarius Tony's clown shoes away from yeah. I mean that that was a game (laughs) that you that that team needed right. Yeah. And the last and the fourth quarter felt like a game a team that needed it more than the other and wanted it more than the other. And the question that I have for those who who may be listening who questioned the method and the timing and things like that for all the energy that folks spent all week going, why now this is not what this team needs. Are you going to have the same energy if they rip off four wins in a row, get a home playoff game and make a run and get to the AFC title game? Are you going to question, was it what the team needed in the moment? Like, did they need not, not that Ty would take credit for it or not, that 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 was the purpose for it or anything, but these are the types of things where, Let's get it all out there. Let's own it. Let's, let's and figure it out. Let's figure out if we're going to rally or if we're going to crumble. And so far, they've rallied. So is there going to be credit given when you hear players, if they do rally, if, if they continue to rally?
4: If they hear players, and I said this to Mark Smith, and he flipped out. <clears throat> I was like, Mark, I hope, I was like, when they, if this year they end up carrying the Lombardi Trophy down Delaware Avenue in downtown Buffalo, they better let Ty Dunn at least touch it. Yeah. But this is the thing. He would never frame it that way. No. That's not him saying this. This is me. I'm speaking on my well, own. I'm on a here. duck boat. <laughs> <laughs> my thing is this. When you look at the timing of this, when you look at the way the team reacted and in the post-game speeches, you hear the players, how vocal they are in their support for Sean McDermott. Like, hey, we're going to go to war for this guy. You talk about bulletin board material. You talk about finding motivation. I'll tell you what, the greats, I mean, maybe the greatest, the, the, begrudgingly I have to say this, the greatest ever do it, Tom Brady, was constantly just conflating things in his own head like a lunatic yeah. to give himself, he admitted as much. Yeah. After we retired, he admitted as much that he would find anything to get, but he goes, but I have that mind where I can, like, I gravitate towards, I can make up a narrative or I can find something that... I know I'm overblowing, but I don't know it, because as soon as I latch onto that, that becomes my motivation to beat that person or well, Jordan push talked myself. about it during
3: the last dance too, Like he would create these stories about about what happened, like people disrespecting him, and he'd go out and drop fifty and it was like, No, they never said that to him.
4: This is where you have to like the motivation to do those sorts of things has to come from somewhere. And if it's not in you, then you have to take those external things and you have to find it.
3: Well, how vocal were Bills fans last year about the Bengals creating these narratives around all their pre-selling tickets to the AFC title game like they don't even have to play us first. And, you know, like they were creating narratives all last season. And what did it do? It led them to the AFC title game to, you know,
4: within a stone's throw of a Super Bowl. Yeah. And so it's just that. It's that dynamic of I'm tired of people attacking Ty. He did his job. He did the job of what – and it's funny that Tim Graham, who also catches a lot of flack for his polarizing stuff, but he's like, guys, I teach graduate-level journalism. Yeah. <laughs> like, Don't tell me what the job of a journalist is. Right. I teach the craft. Ty's doing his job. I know this because I've sat in those classes. So now it's it's one of those things of don't shoot the messenger. Now that the message is out there, it's just up to you what you do with it. Right. So it's on Sean McDermott and his football team to figure out how they move forward from there. Decrying Ty and the way Ty approaches his craft for, trying to, for, for bringing this stuff to light, I think that that's wasted energy, and I think that really now the focus should shift back to the coach and say, okay, even if you don't agree with the message that was delivered, it's out there. What are you going to do with it? And so far, the early returns on that,
3: I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I mean, the end justifies the means, right? <laughs> the ends justify
4: the means. If you're meantime. hoisting
3: a Lombardi Trophy at the end of the day, no one's going to care. And, I'll drink to that. Yeah, and and here's hoping that Ty was the lightning rod that they needed <laughs> <laughs> to get them back on track, because Lord knows we were they were on the struggle bus before that Kansas City game, man. Before that article came out, they were in a whole world of hurt, well, and now they look like a team that nobody wants to play.
4: Well, cool. let's see if they can keep it going. Awesome, though. And so, as we close out tonight's program, I have to open a fresh beverage for this because we are now speaking about the only AFC East team to lose a game this week, Mister elf from three yards per carry. You know, you know, seventy seven hundred and sixty seven and O was the record, right? I'm sure you've heard about that by now, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's the the last time and and I know in regular season it, that that was a record. I think the last time was what 2017 or 2018 something like that where a team came back from two touchdowns down in the last 4 minutes mm-hmm. to win and that team won it in overtime. So, yeah, it was absolutely embarrassing. It was a comedy of breakdowns, but uh they all have context and explanations and so so let uh, me I'm pretty sure we'll get to it. Let me set the scene for you. I'm painting my living
4: room, (laughs) and I've been trying to get this project done all day, and I'm just saying to myself, okay, the game is on, but I'm trying to focus on work. I'm just trying to focus on the task at hand so I can get done with this, because I've been painting literally since like 10 o'clock in the morning. So I noticed that Tennessee finally does the thing, right? They do the thing that all bad football teams do when they play good football teams, which is they fumble the ball. And then they immediately turn it over a second time. And you guys, get you know, they fumble the ball on a punt. So you guys go seven yards for a touchdown. You take a one-score lead. On the ensuing possession, you get the ball right back. And it ends up in the end zone. And all of a sudden, you guys have a two-score lead instead of trailing. And everything's great. It's all sunshine and rainbows. People are partying in the stands. And I say to myself, I go, okay, they finally just did the thing. I watched enough of the Bills do this. Against every good team they would play during the drought, it was that. You know, the, the Dallas on Monday Night Football where you have a 20, you've scored three defensive touchdowns in this game and you're somehow going to lose on a last second field goal. It's like, I know what it looks like when you're a bad team that plays a good team. This is the moment where you just, you, all of your terrible tendencies came out at once and it just screws you. So I just assume it's over and I go back to work and I've got my earbuds in. I'm not watching. And all of a sudden I turn around and it's like they're driving to score a touchdown and there's still two minutes left. And now I'm forced to go pour myself a glass of tequila on the rocks and sit down and watch this disaster. Unfold. <laughs> what, hmm. was, what were your emotions like seeing the score tied or going into halftime only you know, trailing by three? I guess is the way I would say it, like trailing by three at halftime. What was your emotion at that point?
1: Well, completely annoyed because I saw what had happened three times earlier happen again. Uh, it's almost like clockwork. Three times this season, we've had an in-game injury that completely derails one drive. This one, we get Connor Williams out uh, on the opening drive. We're just driving right down the field like as if we had no opposition. We drive it all the way to the three-yard line with Connor Williams having had left when we had gotten the first down about the 22-yard line. Uh, in comes Liam Eikenberg. There's a bad snap. Uh, the snap is essentially 50-50. I don't know. It, it looks like Liam Eikenberg leaves it kind of short. Tua fumbles the football. They get the ball. We get no points at the three-yard line. Uh, that's happened three times this year where we've fumbled inside the five-yard line. Uh, when we've had an injury on the offensive line, and it's been directly blamed on that one player getting injured. Twice, Connor Williams. One time it was because uh, Teron Armstead was injured and we had to scramble in. Uh, You know, there was a mistake on on a Mm -hmm. run, and it was stuffed on a fourth down. So there's always been something that's happened that's derailed a drive. So it happened again. And then you had general incompetence by the offensive line in certain crucial plays – and at the end of the first half, you just left wondering how the hell is this possible? <laughs> that we have a hundred and one yards rushing. Tua has a completely efficient first half throwing the football, and we have no points. All we have is Zach Sealer with a pick six. And and by the way, that guy's that, that that guy's a wonder. Like he just pulls one play out of his ass after another. Well, that contract uh-huh. extension you guys gave him looks like genius right now, right? Yeah, that that dude. That you never hear from that dude unless he's getting a sack or making a pick six or forcing a fumble. He's always doing something good. There's never a bad moment with that guy, you know. So yeah, that was that was a great uh, that was a great. Move. We made some bad ones. That's a great one. So then you come out,
4: right? So so now you've come out. You say, okay, here's going to be the second half. We got to climb out of this thing, score a field goal. You come out after halftime, you score a field goal.
1: That was also a disaster.
4: <laughs> Where you go seventy-seven yards on a drive and have to settle for a field goal.
1: Yeah, and we're throwing fades into the end zone. They finally asked Tua about it, and Tua was like, "You know what? That's not a bad point." <laughs> they asked the uh, Tua has thrown four fades this year. They've completed one for a touchdown to Tyreek Hill. Uh, and, and it's hilarious got, that
4: you're throwing a fade to the shortest guy in your roster.
1: Yeah, exactly. But they they, they got to get rid of that. It's it's uh, they got to be done with it. So uh, you, guys- you got so much more to get to. Other than a fade on third down, like, really? I guess.
4: So, so uh, here, here's where you know, you watch all of this fall apart in the second half. And it's I think the crazier part is the idea that in the thing that really cost you was the fact that, you know, when you get the ball back, right, you get those two quick touchdowns in less than a minute and a half and you go, OK, we rule again. And then they drive right down and score a touchdown in less than a minute. Or I think it was less than two minutes. I think, yeah, I'm looking at this now. Yeah, it was 141, I believe. 141, I believe. So you guys get the ball back. And it's like, okay, here's your opportunity to just salt this thing away. Good job, Will Levis. Round of applause. You made it interesting. Everyone knows you're going to be the starter next year. You showed you have moxie. And then you run 25 seconds of clock, eight plays and a punt. How does that entire drive happen?
1: Uh, it happens because you miss a hole on a cutback, which uh, Raheem Mostert rarely does. Um, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but Raheem Mostert is headed for like 20 plus touchdowns this year. Oh, it wasn't He's it had even a eight plays. It was, yeah,
4: it was three plays, eight yards. That's what it yes. was.
1: Yeah. We, I think we got six on one of them. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Tua tries to take off because there's nobody, and you watch the all 22. There's not a soul open on this play all of a sudden. So two tries to take off and they get him short of the of the first down and we're punting and it was a rare thing because they 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 brought out their four minute offense before and in this case it was a three minute offense and then came the breakdowns on on defense on the ensuing drive and once you saw that you were like okay yeah I've seen this before this is what collapses look like in games because. I saw it from opponents before. I saw it against the – I saw it with the Chargers. Chargers were completely in charge in that first game this season. And then all of a sudden they couldn't cover anybody. And we were just cutting through their defense like a knife through butter. It happened last year against the Ravens. Uh, Ravens all of a sudden couldn't guard anybody. And we were just going up and down the field, you know. So They've, they found
4: some wrinkle of your defense that they liked and they just, I mean, to know that they went, it took them nine plays on the previous possession where they just threatened to come back. It took them nine plays in, to go 75 yards and then they get the ball back with two minutes and 15 seconds left in the clock and they go, what is it, six, what is it, four plays, 64 yards, touchdown. Like the breakdowns in your secondary with that, I guess with that, amount of talent it just seems crazy that that's a thing that would happen to you in this moment
1: well uh half of the talent was on the bench and that was part of the issue uh javon holla hasn't been playing since the the black friday game he left that game at halftime if you remember mm-hmm. after he had the uh, the pick six on yep. the hell mary uh he played a few snaps in the third quarter then he left that game he hasn't played since he's been threatening to come back pretty uh every single week uh he Practices the last two days on a limited basis, and then he's made inactive for the game. Uh, he's doing that again this week. Um, my guess is that he comes back next week. Uh, he's important. Deshaun Elliott is also important. Deshaun Elliott left this game with a concussion, and that's why he wasn't on there on the last the last drive against the uh, the the Titans. So they had two backups in there: Elijah Campbell and Brandon Jones. And I guess they just couldn't communicate some of their coverages and. They had a cloud six coverage on that last drive uh, that they just completely blew. And you can see that X carries his man deep, which means that Kater Kohu has to hug the hash and then come out. He should have been contesting that ball that they threw to DeAndre Hopkins where he was wide open Mm -hmm. for 32 yards. Mm -hmm. He should have been standing right there to contest that ball because it's zone. And yes, it's a soft coverage. But still, if you play it correctly, you have a guy contesting that pass. But that's not what they did. Um, <laughs> there were many other blown coverages in that game. The only good thing that you got from this game was that you did not have Jerome Baker, and he is the, he is the signal caller on, on the defense. And their first game without Jerome Baker, Duke Riley steps in and plays really, really well. Derrick Henry, 17 carries, 34 yards. Like, you take that, right?
4: No, I, I mean, it's it's one of these things where so watching this game unfold the way that it did. And I love the fact that you explained this in the way that you did, because this takes us back to almost the beginning of the season where we talked about what each team's like strength, weakness, what their Achilles heel was going to be. And the one thing that everybody said about the Dolphins is when they're healthy, arguably one of the better rosters in the AFC from a skill player position, you know when you're talking about cornerbacks, when you're talking about defensive line, th- when healthy, they are one of the better rosters. You know, you'd call them a top five, you know, definitely a top ten. But now this attrition of the NFL season is really reared its head, and we always knew the depth of this roster was going to be a problem. You're starting to see that there's only so much this roster can withstand whether it's at tackle, whether it's at center, whether it's now... Because it's one thing if you just lose the center. It's one thing if you just lose one of your best pass rushers because you have other pass rushers. But now you've got coverage guys who are missing and tackles and pass rushers. And it's all compounding into these games where all of a sudden the bottom drops out on you guys and you just don't look the same for entire phases of the game. And unfortunately for this one, it was almost right after the game started, you guys really seemed to kind of trail off. Like, the, the injury to Tyreek Hill, the offense just stalled anytime he wasn't on the football field. How concerning of a trend is that to you, knowing the other injuries that are already impacting this roster?
1: Well, they're having serious issues adjusting to injuries inside of games, and this has happened all year, even in games that they've won. Uh, there's been games that they've won that they've just adjusted, and they just managed to, to hold on. Uh, usually they're okay when they go into games with backups. But in this game, they were down to four backup offensive linemen and Austin Jackson. And Austin <laughs> Jackson wasn't having a particularly great game either. Uh, you know, Then Tyreek Hill goes out, and they didn't activate uh, Robbie Chosen, who is their designated clear-out guy. Mm-hmm. Like uh, When you see him on the field, usually what you see him do is just run in, in a straight line really, really, really fast. Yep. And sometimes he'll get a thrown to him, and sometimes... He won't, but he's, he's not going to do much else other than he's just there to up, ca- yeah,
4: he's, he's just there to carry bodies upfield to, to, to try to open up the middle.
1: Yeah, that's all he does. Uh, essentially, all game. They didn't activate him. They activated Chase Claypool, and then they do some weird thing with Chase Claypool where he plays every single special team snap. And now he's rushing off of the edge on field goals and on punts. And I don't I never, I did not understand what they were trying to do with him and why they didn't play him on the offense when he showed some promise in a few games. That they played him this year on offense, so you know they take an injury to, to Smythe for a little while there. He comes back into the game. They shuffle around the entire offensive line with the Connor Williams injury. Uh, that was a mistake, uh, obviously. And by the way, Liam Eikenberg also got injured in that game. <laughs> so, so it was a point. It was to the point where it was just Austin Jackson and nobody else uh, on the offense. So they're going to have to do a lot of adjusting. The good news is that is that they're doing that thing again where. They're getting some of these guys back because they're not they're not fatal injuries for the season. Connor Williams is that's he's gone for the year. Jalen Phillips is gone for the year and he's one of our best players, but they've managed to kind of replace him. And we're pretty happy with getting Melvin Ingram back because he was absolutely fabulous for us last year. And he was a team leader. And this team probably needs some of that right now. But um, yeah, the. They, you know, you can't be whistling past the, the graveyard on these injuries anymore. It's vast. No, and help- yeah, you're getting some of them back, <laughs> mm-hmm. but when and how and at what times are you getting them back? And are you going to take any more injuries?
4: Well, exactly, you know? because that's- if you
1: could just stop, if you could just stop the injury <laughs> clock right now, I think every Dolphin fan will take it because that means that you're going to have Armstead, Hunt, and Jackson, no matter what, on the offensive line, and with that, you could kind of make do with the other two spots. And that means that you're going to get Holland back, which means that the defense is essentially going to be intact until Baker comes back for the Buffalo game. And by the way, that's when he's he's slated to come back. Mm -hmm. And you have Phillips out. So you're essentially just playing without Phillips, without Connor Williams, which are two of your best players. But you could kind of mask things. What you can't mask is vast injuries all across the board. So some of these guys have to come back. It seems like Teron Armstead is going to play on Sunday. So that's one guy coming back. And Holland's on the way back soon. Hunt is the one that's a little trickier. Like that's uh, – uh, remember, he had an injury. And then he aggravated it. And re-aggravated it. So yep. he's back nursing it. The only good news on him is that he's not on IR. So, and they could have put him on IR. So that's the good news on him. Which so, means he's probably back, maybe Baltimore. The hope is Dallas, but I have my doubts on that.
4: So now we look at this as Bills fans, and we sit here and we go, "We're doing the thing, huh?" That there's all of a sudden our winning Kansas City, your loss to Tennessee has opened up the door for a conversation about what happens if the Dolphins drop one more game between now and the end of the season, and the Bills can manage to get there only losing, let's say this, let's say, let's say it's this Dallas game, right? Like we talked about in our preview this week, <clears throat> I fully expect the Bills to come into that one a little bit overmatched in a lot of places. I I would be shocked if they go out and win this game. I think if you go out, play competitively, and you you show well, right? Show that you can hang. I'll be I'll be okay with that. Obviously, I'd be ecstatic with a win. Don't get me wrong. I think that if they show well enough. All it takes is one more loss, and now we're talking about like that game being for the
1: division. <laughs> like that game could be for the AFC East. Your, well, I, I your, hate to I hate to break uh, some of the, some news here, but if the Dolphins win the next two at home and you lose to Dallas, it's over. Well, you got to win. That's numbers three.
4: <laughs> you got to you got to win those two. And that's right. that's, I guess, my point. So now as we're doing this Michael Myers thing where, you know, you guys ran out to an early lead. <laughs> you guys ran. You did the thing that all the chicks do in that movie. They they run. They and then, of course, you trip over a box and you twist your ankle jumping off a ladder or, you know, trying to you know Oh, I have to hop this railing because I'm in such a hurry. And Michael Myers just slowly, but methodically, somehow, some way ends up catching up to you. We're, we're getting closer. It's right there, and if uh, social media has told me anything, your fan base is as hyperbolic as ever right now.
1: Well, they're absolutely insane and embarrassing (laughs) at at the same time. But, uh, yeah, the the mission is is rather clear. You're ending the season with three of the last four at home, Mm -hmm. okay? You beat the Jets this weekend, and you beat the Cowboys the following weekend, and I hate to be Mr. Charlie Weiss on here, but if anybody wants to cold take me in your audience, you could cold take me on Twitter. Not that I'll be there anyway. <laughs> but but if you want to, you can. Miami has a decided schematic advantage over the Dallas Cowboys. And if you want to call us a poor man's 49ers, we'll take that, because the 49ers beat them forty two to ten. Okay? So uh Miami just has some some things that are in their favor against the Dallas Cowboys. None of none of which is it has to do with Dallas, Dallas being 2-7 and seven on grass the last two years, okay? And that game will be here on grass. So I, I'm pretty confident about that game if we have any kind of health. So just got to get past this week, and Buffalo loses to Dallas, and we're right back on, on schedule.
4: All, all I'm hearing is you talking about uh, you know, how, how confident you are. It's you know, about how you guys are going to get to that magic number before we can really close the gap. And all I'm thinking, all I can see in my head, right, is you're, you're a UFC fan. All I can see in my head is that interview where they're doing the fight promo for Conor McGregor and uh, Nate Diaz. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I'm going to knock him out in round one. Uh, and he's all confident, full of himself. And they're like, what do you think, Nate? And he was like, you better. <laughs> they, you you better win those games, Mr. El Fartiaga, because otherwise... I just feel like I feel like Hard Rock Stadium might like your fan base might immolate right there inside the stadium. Personally, I can't Uh, wait to see it.
1: Yeah, it's if it does come down to that, uh, I like Miami's chances to, you know, look, this was one of those weird, weird things. And if you rewatch the game, you could kind of see it. There's some evidence to suggest that it was the worst loss of the season by any team in the NFL, which, which is, you know, which is rare. Like, that's a rare thing, okay? Yeah, you know, if you believe in APA and all those, the APA points added and all that stuff, uh, if you believe in any of those things, uh, this loss was considered one of the worst of the of the season, <laughs> if not the worst of the season. So they didn't forget how to play football, okay? Uh, I'll just say that. So as long as they don't forget how to play football and they could manage... Uh, a couple of wins here they should be okay they should be in good shape uh injury is what they're monitoring well going forward
4: well as you guys guys for those of you who want to hate watch all of the inside baseball in terms of the health of the dolphins as we watch them attempt to attempt to hit that magic number and make our chances of winning the division irrelevant where can they follow all your work at mr artiaga and where can they find you guys uh, on you know your podcast your only fins why don't you spin it for them
1: yeah, if you want to listen to our podcast and listen to any of the shows that we do on our on our on our feed, uh, including one that I do, which is OnlyFans uh, live, uh, you can find everything that we do on our feed, which is at three yards per carry. That's the number three yards per carry anywhere you get your podcast. You want to follow us on Twitter, and there's some information there on how you can join OnlyFans. Uh, you could go to also three yards per carry on Twitter. Also, the number three yards per carry on Twitter,
4: guys. We're right there. We're scratching and clawing, but we're right there. I feel like this Roundup podcast just gets more interesting every single week as we inch towards the end of this season. The Billichek drama, whatever the hell is happening in New Jersey, like all of a sudden they have an AFC Player of the Week, that's that's new. The Dolphins, maybe letting the Bills creep in here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you come back next week, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. it's Elfar Tiago, Mr. Christian Simonelli, and Scott Mason, and this has been your AFC's Roundup.